The end of arrogance. Decentralization in anarchist organizing. For too long, anarchist projects have been mismanaged by arrogant fantasies of mass. We have unconsciously adopted the dinosaur, statist, capitalist, and authoritarian belief that, quote, bigger equals better, and that we must tailor our actions and groups towards this end. Despite our intuitive understandings that large organizations rarely accomplish more than small, tight groups working together, the desire for mass remains strong. Let's re-examine how we organize projects in order to awake from the nightmare of bureaucracy, centralization, and ineffective projects. The rejection of mass organizations as the be-all, end-all of organizing is vital for the creation and rediscovery of possibilities for empowerment and effective anarchist work. The Tyranny of Structure Most mass structures are a result of habit, inertia, and a lack of creative critique. Desire for mass is accepted as common sense in the same way it is, quote, common sense that groups must have leaders or that they must make decisions by voting. Even anarchists have been tricked into accepting the necessity of superstructures and large organizations for the sake of efficiency, mass, and unity. These superstructures have become a badge of legitimacy, and they are often the only conduits by which outsiders, whether the media, the police, or the traditional left, can understand us. The result is an alphabet soup of megagroups that largely exist to propagate themselves and sadly do little else. Unfortunately, we haven't just been tricked into accepting superstructures as the overriding venue of our work. Many of us have gone along willingly because the promise of mass is a seductive one. Large coalitions and superstructures have become the modus operandi not only for leftist groups in general, but also for anarchist enterprises. They appeal to activists' arrogant fantasies of mass. Even our best intentions in wild streams are often crowded out by visions of the black-clad mob storming the Bastille or the IMF headquarters. The price of the arrogant dream of mass is appallingly high, and the promised returns never come. Superstructures such as federations, centralized networks, and mass organizations demand energy and resources to survive. They are not perpetual motion machines that produce more energy than is poured into them. In a community of limited resources and energy like ours, a superstructure can consume most of these available resources, rendering the entire group ineffective. Mainstream nonprofits have recently illustrated this tendency. Large organizations like the Starvation Army, Salvation Army commonly spend two-thirds of their money and even larger amounts of their labor on simply maintaining their existence, officers, outreach, meetings, and public appearance. At best, only one-third of their output actually goes to their stated goals. The same trend is replicated in our political organizations. We all know that most large coalitions and superstructures have exceedingly long meetings. Here's a valuable exercise. The next time you find yourself bored by an overlong meeting, count the number of people in attendance. Then multiply that number by how long the meeting lasts. This will give you the number of people hours devoted to keeping the organization alive. Factor in travel time, outreach time, and the propaganda involved in promoting the meeting and that will give you a rough estimate of the amount of hours consumed by the greedy, raw, greedy maw 
of the superstructure. After that nightmarish vision, stop and visualize how much could be accomplished if this immense amount of time, resources, and energy were actually spent on the project at hand instead of what is so innocently referred to as, quote, activism. Affinity or bust. Not only are superstructures wasteful, but they also require that we mortgage our ideals and affinities. By definition, coalitions seek to create and enforce agendas. These are not merely agendas for a particular meeting, but larger priorities for what type of work is important. Within non-anarchist groups, this prioritization often leads to an organizational hierarchy to ensure that all members of the group promote the overall agenda. A common example is the role of the media person or spokesman, and it is always a man whose comments are accepted as the opinion for dozens, hundreds, or sometimes thousands of people. In groups without a party line or platform, we certainly shouldn't accept any other person speaking for us, as individuals, affinity groups, or collectives. While the delusions of media stars and spokespeople are merely annoying, superstructures can lead to scenarios with with much graver consequences. In mass mobilizations or actions, the tactics of an entire coalition are often decided by a handful of people. Many of the disasters of particular recent mobilizations can be squarely blamed on the centralization of information and tactical decisions on a tiny cadre of individuals within the larger coalition, which might include dozens of collectives and affinity groups. For anarchists, Such a concentration of influence and power in the hands of a few is simply unacceptable, yet all too often we go along with it for the sake of building alliances. It has long been a guiding principle of anarchist philosophy that people should engage in activities based on their affinities and that our work should be meaningful, productive, and enjoyable. This is the hidden benefit of voluntary association. It is arrogant to believe that members in a large structure, which again can number in the hundreds of thousands of people, should all have identical affinities and ideals. It is arrogant to believe that through discussion and debate, any one group should convince the others that their particular agenda would be meaningful, productive, and enjoyable for all. Liberty, Trust, and True Solidarity Quote, All liberty is based on mutual trust. End quote. Sam Adams. If we seek a truly liberated society in which to flourish, we must also create a trusting society. Cops, armies, laws, governments, religious specialists, and all other hierarchies are essentially made based on mistrust. Superstructures and coalitions mimic this basic distrust that is so rampant and detrimental in a wider society. In the grand tradition of the left, large organizations today feel that due to their size or mission, they have the right to micromanage the decisions and actions of all of its members. For many activists, this feeling of being something larger than themselves fosters an allegiance to the organization above all. These are are the same principles that foster nationalism and patriotism. Instead of working through and building initiatives and groups that we ourselves have created and are based in our own communities, we work for a larger organization with diluted goals, hoping to convince others to join us. This is the trap of the party, the three-letter acronym group, the large coalition.
In large groups, power is often centralized, controlled by officers or certain working groups, and divided out, as it would be done by any bureaucratic organization. In fact, a great deal of its energies are devoted to guarding this power from others in the coalition. In groups that attempt to attract anarchists, such as anti-globalization and anti-war coalitions, this centralization of power is transferred to certain high-profile working groups, such as media or tactical, even though usually the housing, food, medical, and legal groups usually do a better job. Regardless of how it appears on the outside, superstructures foster a climate in which tiny minorities have disproportionate influence over others in the organization. As anarchists, we ordinarily reject all notions of centralized power and power hoarding. We should be critical of anything that demands the the realignment of our affinities and passions for the good of an organization or abstract principle, like the overused term, unity. We should guard our autonomy with the same ferocity with which the superstructures wish to strip us of it. Mutual aid has long been the guiding principle by which anarchists work together. The paradox of mutual aid is that we can only protect our own autonomy by trusting others to be autonomous. Superstructures do the opposite and seek to limit autonomy and work based on affinity in exchange for playing on our arrogant fantasies and the doling out of power. Decentralization is the basis of not only autonomy, which is the hallmark of liberty, but also of trust. To have genuine freedom, we must have to allow others to engage in their work based on their desires and skills, while we do the same. We can hold no power from them or try to coerce them into accepting our agenda. The successes that we have in the streets and in our local communities almost always come from streets and from the groups working together, not not because they are coerced and feel duty-bound, but out of genuine mutual aid and solidarity. We should continue to encourage others to do their work in coordination with ours, In anarchist communities, we should come together as equals, deciding for ourselves with whom we wish to form affinity groups or collectives. In accordance with that principle, each affinity group should be able to freely choose which groups they want to work. These alliances might last for weeks or for years, for a single action or for a sustained campaign, with two groups or two hundred. Our downfall is when the larger organization becomes our focus not the work that it was created for. We should work together, but only with equal status and with no outside force, neither the state, God, nor some coalition determining the direction or shape of the work we do. Mutual trust allows us to be generous with mutual aid. Trust promotes relationships where bureaucracies, formal procedures, and large meetings promote alienation and autonomy. Atomization, atomization. We can afford to be generous with our limited energies and resources while working with others because these relationships are voluntary and based on the principle of equality. No group should sacrifice their affinity, autonomy, or passions for the privilege to work with others. 
just as we are very careful with whom we, wor- we would work with in an affinity group, we should not offer to join a coalition with groups with whom we do not share mutual trust. We can and should work with other groups and collectives, but only on the basis of autonomy and trust. It is unwise and undesirable to demand that particular group must agree with the decisions of every other group. During demonstrations, this principle is the foundation of the philosophy of diversity of tactics. It is bizarre that anarchists demand diversity of tactics in the streets, but then are coerced by calls for unity in these large coalitions. Can't we do better? Fortunately, we can. Radical Decentralization A New Beginning So let us begin our work not in large coalitions and superstructures, but in small affinity groups of friends. Within the context of our communities, the radical decentralization of work, projects, and responsibility strengthens the ability of anarchist groups to thrive and do work which best suits their particular skills and interests. We reject ineffective, tyrannical superstructures as the only means to get work done. We can do things by strengthening and supporting existing affinity groups and collectives. Why not be as critical of the need for large federations, coalitions, and other superstructures as we are of the state, religion, bureaucracies, and corporations? While no one strategy should be held eternally superior to all others, our recent successes have defied the belief that we must be part of some giant organization to get anything done. Take the heart that take to heart the thousands of DIY projects being done around the world outside of superstructures. We can come to meetings as equals and and work based on our passions and ideals and then find others with whom we share these ideals. Together, we can protect our autonomy and continue to fight for liberty, trust, and true solidarity.